Hey everyone, Laszlo Montgomery again with another China History Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and spending some time with me. I hope you won't mind. Uh, if you'd like to support my work and give me a little boost, I welcome you to visit the official website at teacup.media. In the upper right-hand corner, you'll see a tab, Support the Show. There's a few ways to support me, and I thank you. And most of all, I'm thankful that you're listening. It sure is crowded now out there in podcast land. Over four million shows. So thank you for picking mine. Let's just say this episode was first released on January 20th, 2014. It's now September 2021 as I re-record this. Quite a different lifetime now, more than seven years later. You know, in looking back on 5,000 years of Chinese history, today's story, in my worthless opinion, would easily be included in any box set of China history's greatest hits. This one alone was a platinum seller. I first discussed today's topic for about 40 seconds back in the Tang Dynasty Part 1 episode, CHP 25. I better re-record that one, too. Today's historical drama takes place right at the dawn of the Tang Dynasty, only eight years into the founding emperor Tang Gaozu's reign, the year 626. Gaozu had four sons. One died young, and the other three were all warriors, oozing with charisma, and each one was more ambitious than the next. In Chinese imperial history, Qin to Qing, these kinds of things never end well. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about the shakeout that went down at Xuanwu Gate in present-day Xi'an. Back then, it was the Tang capital of Chang'an. Nobody caught it on video, but if we're to believe the histories that were written about this event, this incident, as I said, has to be one of the most dramatic moments in the 21 centuries of imperial Chinese history. You see, that's the thing. We face it time and again in these situations where our primary sources were written so long ago, not to mention so long after the fact. And the way they did things in China, it was always the succeeding dynasty that would write the official history of the preceding one. And it was common knowledge that the court historians would invariably spin the history in such a way as to provide the highest degree of legitimacy to their new dynasty. That's how it worked. Who do you praise and who do you blame? It was always the new dynasty that delivered that judgment. With China, it truly was often the case of history being written by the victors. We read about everything in all these ancient histories and Truthfully, it's hard to know for sure the degree of accuracy of what you're reading. In the end, it's left up to archaeologists to go validate what's been passed down to us in these official histories. The story of the Shang Oracle Bones, I guess, is a good example of that. As a time reference, concurrent with the time period when our story takes place, the Prophet Muhammad was alive and well. He lived from 570 to 632. So when this incident at Xuanwu Gate goes down on July 2nd, 626 AD, the Hijra had just happened four years prior, and the Byzantine Empire was never going to be the same again. At this time in the early 7th century, the world population was only about 200 million. For everything we know about the early Tang Dynasty, and certainly about today's topic, the incident at Xuanwu Gate, we rely on a few basic sources that describe everything that happened. 
The biggest one, perhaps, is the Zijertongjian, or the Comprehensive Mirror to Aid in Government. This work, considered by many to be the second most important historic work in China after Sima Qian's Shiji, or Records of the Grand Historian, was published in 1084, more than a century into the Northern Song Dynasty. And the one primarily responsible for producing this work was Sima Guang. Sima Guang, some of you might recall from CHP episode 71, that covered the life of Ouyang Xiu. I mentioned this great historian Sima Guang, no relation to Sima Qian. He was a player in the conservative faction during the reign of the Shanzong Emperor. He was the bete noir of the reformer Wang Anshi. Sima Guang is credited with directing this epic work that covered the history of 16 dynasties, 1,400 years in all. There are more than 3 million characters that were written down in 294 volumes. 81 of those uh, 294 volumes deals with the Tang Dynasty. That's more than a quarter of this work. So when it comes to Tang history, the Zizhir Tongjian is always the main go-to source. Another work that tells the story is the Tang Huiyao, the institutional history of the Tang this, too, was written during the very first years of the Northern Song and was commissioned by the founder Zhao Kuangyin himself after he became the Taizu Emperor. And this one covers the history of the Tang in 100 volumes and 514 sections. And the writer was Wang Pu, and he built on previous works concerning the Tang Dynasty. Then there is the Book of Tang, the Tang Shu, and the New Book of Tang, the Xin Tang Shu, after the second one came out in 1060, the Book of Tang became known as the Old Book of Tang to differentiate it from the new one. The Old Book of Tang really was the first dynastic history that was produced from actual court documents and served as a kind of template for subsequent official histories. It was completed in 954 during the later Jin, the third of the five dynasties in the north that followed the collapse of the Tang in 907. There's also a fifth work called the Tongdian, or Comprehensive Statutes, that was completed in 801 during the Tang Emperor Dezong's reign. So these five, the Zizhir Tongjian, Tang Huiyao, the Old and New Books of Tang, and the Tongdian, plus other lesser-known works, that gives us all we know about these earliest years of the Tang Dynasty. For anything and anything that has anything to do with Tang Dynasty history, these are always the main sources. So let's look at some of the starring characters from today's episode. The star, of course, is none other than Li Shermin, who we remember as the Taizong Emperor. He often makes the top ten list of greatest emperors of China, although not everyone sees it this way. The other star is Li Shermin's father, Li Yuan, the Tang founding emperor Gaozu. The two co-stars in this drama are the other two sons of Li Yuan. This was the oldest son, the crown prince, Li Jiancheng, and the youngest son, the prince of Qi, Li Yuanji. There was a fourth son, Li Yun, but he died early in the fight against the Sui and isn't part of this story. There was also a daughter, the princess Pingyang, Pingyang Gongzhu, who also was quite a military leader in her own right, leading the Niangzi Jun to 
Many victories. Niangzi Jun means the army of women. That's a future podcast topic I've yet to cover. All of these children, except Li Zhiyun, as I said, came from one mother. She was the Lady Dou, also known as Duchess Dou. She was of mixed race heritage herself, having some Turkic bloodlines. There's also a whole supporting cast of characters, and we'll get to them one by one. There's a lot of names in this epic tale, and I suggest, if you don't want to get plowed under with all the Chinese names, feel free to go to the episode page at the website, again, that's teacup.media, and the list of terms used can be found there. You'll have the uh, pinyin, the Chinese, and the English. You can even print off a nice PDF of everything, and that'll help you keep everything straight. The story begins in the dying days of the Sui dynasty. The Sui you know, wasn't terribly long-lasting, and there were only two emperors, Emperor Wen and his son, Emperor Yang. This son it started off good, but as his reign progressed, he degraded into one of the most venal, violent, and sadistic emperors of all time. I won't get into any details for now. We'll come back another day and cover this emperor's life in detail. The fortunes for the Li family of the Tang Dynasty began during China's long period of disunity that began with the Sixteen Kingdoms period, 304 to 439, and into the Southern and Northern Dynasties period. Now, I won't list them all here, but among Li Yun's ancestors were military greats from the Northern Wei, Western Wei, and Northern Zhou. Feel free to go check out CHP episode 23 if you need to refresh your memory of this Southern and Northern Dynasties period that ran 386 to 589. The main point is that the Tang ruling family had a pretty halfway decent pedigree to them that offered a good amount of legitimacy to their dynasty. Tang Taizong, that is Li Shermin, as well as his brothers and sister, they were descended from military aristocracy on their father's side, as well as some mixed Chinese Toba Turkic ancestry from the mother's side, the Duchess Dou. Two of the five main works I mentioned were written in a way that depicted Li Shermin as the one doing all the heavy lifting as far as winning the key battles that led to the founding of the Tang. The writers of these primary sources have pretty much spun the story in this very pro-Taizong, anti-Gaozu way. Remember, again, Li Yuan is the Gaozu emperor and Li Shermin is the Taizong emperor. Li Shermin is also known as the Prince of Qin. I know this is confusing, so many different names and titles for each of these guys, but these are the main ones. So let's just dive right in and accept everything at face value as far as this extraordinary general, leader, conqueror, and dynasty co-founder is concerned. Yeah, Tang Taizong. If you're only going to remember 25 names from Chinese history, remember this one. He wasn't the oldest son of Li Yuan, but the histories tell us his victories on the battlefield were the most crucial. His role in paving the way for his father's ultimate success following the Taiyuan uprising was such that Li Shermin was considered the co-founder of the dynasty in the very same way that King Wu of Zhou was to his father, King Wen, in overthrowing the Shang and establishing the Zhou dynasty. 
so I'll get to the Taiyuan uprising in a second. Another story attributed to Li Shermin's all-around bravery and greatness is how, when he was only 17 years old, the Sui Emperor Yang Di found himself trapped in battle with the Eastern Turks in what is today Daixian in Shanxi, and he urgently summoned help. And as the story goes, it was Li Shermin who ended up being the one who responded and rescued Emperor Yang. This was in 615. Remember, the Li Tang clan was based up in Shanxi. But Li Shermin, again, he wasn't the oldest son. That was Li Jiancheng, and that's the crucial point in this story. He wasn't the oldest son. Li Yuan, when he began his uprising against the corrupt Emperor Yang of Sui, divided up the military between his two oldest sons. Li Jiancheng became the Duke of Longxi and was made General of the Left. Li Shermin was made the Duke of Dunhuang and was given the command of General of the Right. Let me mention a little about the Taiyuan Uprising. By 614, the Sui Emperor Yang had pretty much made a mess of the country that his father had brilliantly unified after 160 years of disunity during the Southern and Northern Dynasties period. Sui Yang Di bet the bank and lost on his three misadventures trying to conquer the Korean kingdom of Goguryeo. And now everyone was against him. In the years leading up to 617, it was a dismal time indeed for the people of North China. The scent of the loss of imperial mandate was thick in the air. Everyone smelled it. And in times like these, all those who commanded armies started to jockey for position for the inevitable moment when the end came. An interesting plot twist to this whole thing was that Rumors had been circulating around the land, supposedly begun by some Buddhist monk in 614, that the Sui was on its way out, and someone surnamed Li was going to be the one to finish them off. Or so the story goes. You see, this is one of those things. We're just taking it from primary sources that were written three, four centuries after the fact. When this talk began to circulate and Emperor Yang got wind of it, well, if you were surnamed Li, he had his eyes on you. So he started trying to pick them off one by one. With this new urgency and being surnamed Li and all, Li Shermin urged his father on to rise up first and overthrow this sway ruler and put an end to this whole 37-year-old dynasty before Emperor Yang could strike against them. So with his valiant son, Li Shermin, backing him up, Li Yuan called for an uprising against the sway in Taiyuan, where his power base was. And on May 14th, in the year 617, it went down. And that pretty much ends it for the Sui dynasty. Seven months later, on December 12th, 617, Li Yuan captured Chang'an, and his daughter, the Princess Pingyang, also contributed to that victory with her army of women, the Niangzi Jun. But rather than declare himself emperor, Li Yuan went and demoted Emperor Yang, who had fled to Yangzhou before he could be captured. So Li Yuan made Sui Yangdi the new retired emperor, and he put a puppet emperor on the Sui throne and initially ruled through him as Prince of Tang. But a few months later, the retired emperor Yang of Sui was tracked down and killed. And upon hearing this, Li Yuan, the Prince of Tang, 
push this puppet emperor out of the way, and in 618, the Tang Dynasty was founded, and the Wu De era was proclaimed. Here is sort of where the histories passed down to us begin to diverge. There are histories that are altogether pro Li Shermin and say he picked up the ball and handled everything, and that his father, Li Yun, now Emperor Gaozu, was indecisive, weak, overly conservative, and that Li Shermin acted as the true leader. The New Book of Tang and the Zijir Tongjian both mention that the Taiyun uprising was all Li Shermin's idea. Sima Guang mentions that in 622 when Li Yun staged the uprising, quote, This was all due to the plans of Shermin, Prince of Qin. The emperor, referring to Tang Gaozu, said to Shermin, If this affair is successful, then the winning of the empire is all owing to you, and it would be appropriate to make you the crown prince. Shermin bowed and respectfully declined. When he, meaning Gaozu, became the Prince of Tang, the military commanders and staff assistants also petitioned to have Shermin raised to crown prince. The emperor wanted to install him, but Shermin strongly refused, and so he, meaning Gaozu, went no further. End quote. So, then Sima Guang continued, quote, Crown Prince Jian Cheng, by nature, was liberal and easygoing, delighting in wine and women and hunts in the fields, and Yuan Ji, Prince of Qi, had many faults and flaws. Neither was favored by the emperor. Shermin's deeds and fame increased by the day, and the emperor often had the intention of using him to replace Jian Cheng. Jian Cheng inwardly felt insecure, and so, with Yuan Ji, plotted together both hoping to bring about Shermin's downfall, and each pledging himself to the other as an ally, end quote. And in this statement lies the root of the incident at Xuanwu Gate. Another example of a very pro-Li Shermin excerpt taken from the histories, maybe or maybe not, goes overboard with their description of his victories. It goes like this, quote, Taizong, clad in gold armor, led an array of 10,000 cavalry horses wearing iron armor and 30,000 armored soldiers, accompanied by music bands in front and at the rear, to present to the ancestral temple the two captured contenders and the Sui dynasty vessels and chariots. Gaozu was thrilled and granted the prince of Qin the ritual rites regarding the procession and wine-drinking. Gaozu did not think that all the old official titles could match his extraordinary achievements and therefore created separate titles to honor his exceptional virtue. In the tenth moon, the Prince of Qin was given titles above all other royal princes. End quote. You see, when they took over and founded the Tang in 618, there were still six bloody years of battle to go before all rivals were put down. If you're a fan of Chinese military history, this time in the early 7th century in China is just chock full of tales of these bloody battles fought between all the contenders for ultimate power in China. But in 624, after the last of them had been put down and the Lees had settled everything and their dynasty was now secure, the main thing that had to be worked out was the succession issue. From the time that Li Yuan declared the founding of the Tang Dynasty, everyone had been preoccupied with getting rid of their enemies. 
now that that had been taken care of, everyone knew there was going to be some sort of power struggle at the imperial court that was going to end badly for someone. Li Jiancheng may very well have been the eldest son and had been made the crown prince, but too many believed that the better choice for emperor would be Li Shiming. He had exhibited the best leadership qualities by far, especially in defeating Tang enemies and cutting deals with the eastern Turks and keeping them at bay in the north. And besides, Li Yuan himself had made it known, although not officially, that he preferred Li Shiming too, and was just following the custom of primogenitor in making Li Jiancheng the crown prince. The proxies for the two contending brothers at the imperial court got in on the act as well whispering in the Gaozu emperor's ear about brashness and disloyalty of this brother and that brother. The emperor didn't know who to believe. So all of this is the setup to the incident at Xuanwu Gate. After putting down two of the biggest threats to the Tang, Li Shermin was never looking better. This further stoked the ovens of jealousy and mistrust between Li Shermin and his two brothers. By the ninth year of the Wu-de era of the Gaozu Emperor's reign, if the crown prince Li Jiancheng was feeling uneasy about succeeding his father to the throne in Chang'an, well, he had good reason to. Li Jiancheng had also performed admirably during this early period when the Tang was trying to steady itself and step into the shoes of the Sui rulers. During this period, when Li Shermin was based in Luoyang, winning all these accolades, Li Jiancheng was up in the north, commanding the garrison up there, defending the area from the Turks. The Xuanwu Gate incident, basically, was a good old-fashioned palace coup. There were a few versions of how this all went down that day. Li Shermin was backed up by six of his closest men. And these were Zhang Sun Wuqi, Yu Churching De, Fang Xuanling, Du Ruhui, Yu Wen Shiji, and Gao Shilian. You might have noticed three of these names have compound surnames. Zhang Sun Wu Ji, surnamed Zhang Sun, would become Li Shermin's brother in law. This surname, Zhang Sun, was an old Xianbei surname. The Xianbei were Mongols. Yu Wen Shiji was another one. Yu Wen was another Xianbei surname. Yuan Shiji was a holdover from the Sui dynasty who threw in his lot with the Lees, serving Li Yuan first before serving Li Shermin during his reign as Tang Taizong. Yu Chijing De, more about him in a moment, but he plays a co-starring role in the Xuanwu Gate incident. This is a very rare surname, but you could run into them here and there in China. So these supporters of Li Shermin, his innermost circle... They planned to get Li Jiancheng and Li Yuanji before those two brothers made their move. The way Li Shermin hatched this plan was to go before his father, the emperor Tang Gaozu, and tell him the two brothers were messing around with his concubines and were plotting to overthrow the emperor and do away with him. This is the kind of stuff they did, these brothers. Whenever they'd get their chance, they would lobby the old man to get rid of the other brother who was allegedly up to no good. And one of these concubines who heard the accusations from Li Shermin slipped away and informed the crown prince of what was going down at the palace behind his back. Hearing this, the crown prince, Li Jiancheng, along with his brother, Li Yuanqi, 
quickly jumped on their horses and headed to the palace to try and defuse this situation. And the Emperor Gaozu wished to launch an investigation into these allegations. The two brothers, Jian Cheng and Yuan Qi, were determined to snuff this rumor out before anything bad happened. Xuanwu Gate was the north gate of the Imperial Palace in Chang'an. You could visit the site, but the original gate, well, being almost 1,400 years old and all, isn't there anymore. But this was where the royals would normally enter the gates to the Tang Palace. Things became more urgent when Li Shermin was told by one of his people that his older brother was conspiring to have him murdered. At once, he began to plot his defense and counterattack, and he enlisted the aid of the one who commanded the force that were based at the Xuanwu Gate. And these guards, together with twelve of Li Shermin's most trusted men, waited for the crown prince and the prince of Qi to show up. Let me quote from the Zizhi Tongjian and let Sima Guang describe what happened on that fateful day of July 2nd, 626. Quote, On the Gangshan day, Shermin led Zhang Sun Wu Ji and others into the palace city and concealed troops at Xuanwu Gate. Zhang Jieyu secretly learned Shermin's express intentions and hastened to inform Jian Cheng. Jian Cheng summoned Li Yuanji to strategize, and Yuanji said, We ought to marshal the palace troops and excuse ourselves from the morning court on account of illness so we may observe the situation. Jian Cheng said, The preparation of the troops is already well underway. You and I should enter and personally ask what is afoot. Thus, they all entered and sped through Xuanwu Gate. The emperor, at this time, had already summoned others, wanting to put a stop to the event. Jian Cheng and Yuan Ji arrived at the Lake Overlook Basilica, and feeling something was amiss, turned their horses around to return to the palace. Shermin followed and shouted after them. Yuan Ji took out his bow to shoot at Shermin. He tried three times, but could not fully draw his bow. Shermin shot Jian Cheng and killed him. Yu Churjing De then arrived at the head of seventy riders. From the left and right, they all shot at Yuan Ji, who fell off his horse. Shermin fell from his horse and could not rise. Yuan Ji suddenly arrived, snatched away his bow, and was about to grapple with him when Jing De leapt astride his horse and cursed at Yuan Ji. Yuan Ji was about to flee to the Wuda Basilica on foot, but Jing De shot after in pursuit and killed him. End quote. So, Li Shermin does a little of the fratricide thing and delivers the arrow that kills his oldest brother, the Tang Crown Prince. But later, he falls from his horse and after he lost control, as the story goes, got tangled up in some branches or something that impeded him. And it was then, when Li Shermin was vulnerable, that Li Yuanji, the Prince of Qi, pursued him into the woods on foot to snuff him out. And as one version of the story goes, the two brothers, Li Shermin and Li Yuanji, grappled on the ground when Yu Churjing De showed up with his 70 men. And it was Yu Churjing De who shot the arrow that finished off Li Yuanji. And then, for good measure, to make sure they didn't make any miraculous recovery, Yu Churjing De went and decapitated the brothers, Li Jiancheng and Li Yuanji. This didn't end things yet. 
The soldiers in the employ of the two slain brothers heard the news and rushed to Xuanwu Gate to seek retribution and to kill Li Shermin. But when they got there, Li Shermin gave orders to shut the gate and to allow no one to get in. Then he sent Yu Chir Jingde to rush into the palace to protect the emperor. And when he pushed his way into the Gaozu emperor's palace, and the emperor saw him in full armor, carrying a spear, he knew something was up. And he asked who had rebelled. Yu Chir Jingde told the Gaozu emperor that the crown prince and prince of Qi rose up and tried to kill the prince of Qin, and that they were both killed, and that Li Shermin sent him to protect the emperor. In the immediate aftermath of the coup, the forces of Li Shermin clashed with those of the now deceased Li Jiancheng. Yu Chijingde persuaded the emperor to call a halt to the fighting and to announce that Li Shermin was the new crown prince. Then Yu and Shiji took these orders to the fields of battle and announced the emperor's will that the fighting cease. And so the fighting stopped. And then the sons of Li Jiancheng and Li Yuanji were also dealt with, if you know what I mean. As far as all the soldiers of the two deceased royals, well, these guys were all spared, as Yu Chijingde persuaded Li Shermin not to kill them, and that to do so would be counterproductive, and it was better to bring them into his camp. Yu Chijingde, for the critical role he played at the incident at Xuanwu Gate, was immortalized in Chinese folk religion as the Munshan, or the Door God. You'll see these colorful posters of the Door God, always placed on each side of a door or any kind of entryway to a building, public or private. And if you have your Door Gods in place, you need not fear any evil spirits or whatnot getting inside. You see, after the incident, Taizong honored Yu Churching Da, as well as one of the other generals, by supposedly having their images hung outside his own front door. And then, later, the the common people adopted this custom, believing it would not only protect them from evil, but also bring good luck as well. Five days after the incident at Xuanwu Gate, Li Shermin was made the new crown prince. And further to this, Tang Gaozu announced that, quote, from now on, all military and state affairs should be handled by the crown prince before they are reported to me. End quote. All of Li Shermin's inner circle were amply rewarded for their role in the coup. And as I mentioned, they went on to serve Li Shermin after he became the Taizong emperor in the aftermath of the incident at Xuanwu Gate. Even many of the closest comrades of Li Jiancheng and Li Yuanji, rather than be executed, were welcomed into the new government and ended up serving loyally. And so, on August 8th, 626, a month after all this went down in the ancient city of Xi'an, the Emperor Gaozu announced that he was passing the emperorship to Li Shermin, and the very next day, Li Shermin mounted the throne and became the second emperor of the Tang Dynasty, Tang Taizong, and ladies and gentlemen, the rest is history. You can go back and re-listen to episode CHP 25 if you want to know what happened next. And with that, I'm going to let you all go for now. Once again, if you need a program to keep all the names straight, please go to the website at teacup.media and refer to the list of terms for this episode. And while you're there, 
consider supporting your humble narrator. Until the next time, mes amis, this is Laszlo Montgomery signing off from the city of Los Angeles, California, and it's my greatest hope that you'll consider joining me next time for another exciting episode of the China History Podcast.